This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycasts. Hello and welcome to Reality Check. Today is Sunday the 7th of October 2018 and I'm your host, Tony Pittman. This is episode 78 of Reality Check here on Joy 94.9. Reality Check is a show designed to give you a healthy dose of reality. And we do that by promoting the art of critical thinking and skeptical analysis. Each show we bring you a roundup of LGBT news, followed by an in-depth analysis of an issue related to the paranormal or the pseudoscientific, And finally, we wrap up each show with a movie review. On today's show, after our LGBT news roundup, we're going to delve into the mysterious and groundbreaking findings of Dr. Masaru Emoto. He discovered that human thoughts can supposedly affect the formation of ice crystals and also came up with the so-called rice experiment, which shows that our thoughts can determine whether cooked rice left in a jar goes moldy or not. According to the fundamental laws of nature, that's impossible, but dozens of viral YouTube videos proving the rice experiment can't be wrong. Or can they? Well, that's what we'll try to find out. Then in our movie review, we're actually going to look at a TV series instead of a film. And that series is The Assassination of Gianni Versace. So for all that and more, stay tuned to Reality Check here on Joy 94.9. Alright, let's get into our LGBT news roundup for the period since our last episode of Reality Check back on the 4th of July, which is just over three months ago. And let's start with decriminalization news because there's been one hugely significant story that's occurred in these last three months. In fact, I would say it's the biggest LGBT news story that's happened since we started broadcasting Reality Check back in 2009. Nothing else has been as significant as this. Now, let's have a listen. (laughs) 
screams of joy there ringing out across the world as India finally decriminalizes homosexuality. Just a month ago, on September 6th, the Supreme Court of India ruled that Section 377 of the Penal Code was unconstitutional. And just like that, tens of millions of people ceased being criminals in the eyes of the law. It's really an historic and momentous breakthrough, and one that's certainly been a long time coming. So let's just briefly recap the history of Section 377. It was introduced by the British in colonial times back in 1861 and stayed in force for almost 150 years until it was struck down by the Delhi High Court in July 2009. That judgment was unfortunately overturned in December 2013, meaning that Section 377 came back into effect, but happily only briefly because finally, last month, it was abolished for good. The decision of the Supreme Court was unanimous and cannot be overruled. So a cause of great celebration throughout India and the rest of the world. And the reason why this decision is such a big deal and is the biggest LGBT news story we've ever covered on Reality Check is, well, not only is it the culmination of a long and arduous battle by activists over many years, but simply because of the vast numbers of people who are directly affected by it. India now has a population of 1.3 billion. So even if this decision only applies to 5% of them, that's still 65 million people. 65 million people who suddenly are no longer considered criminals. That's a huge step forward for LGBT rights. And hopefully that Supreme Court decision is one that will have ramifications across the rest of the world, because many other former British colonies also have sodomy laws based on Section 377. And their activists and courts will now be looking at the jurisprudence in the Indian decision for inspiration. So hopefully this may be the beginning of a wave of similar verdicts across the world. Let's hope so. All right, now that that big news story is out of the way, let's turn to marriage news. And, well, unfortunately, I'm sorry to report that nowhere in the world actually achieved marriage equality over these last three months. There have been some developments in several places, but nowhere actually got over the finish line. But let's look at some of those developments anyway, and let's start with Taiwan. Now, marriage equality in Taiwan should be a foregone conclusion at this point. The Constitutional Court there ruled last year that Unless the legislature acts to bring it in earlier, marriage equality will come into force automatically in May 2019. So that should be the end of the story. However, opponents of marriage equality have been up to no good and have been gathering signatures 
to try to put the whole issue to a national referendum. In late August, they announced that they had gathered over 600,000 signatures in favour of a referendum on the questions that they drafted. Then, just a few weeks later, in September, a pro-marriage equality group announced that it had more than 600,000 signatures as well to put its own question to the people in a referendum. So, it's all a bit confusing and nobody really knows what's going to happen now. Will these referenda go ahead? Both of them? Just one of them? Well, we don't know. The Electoral Commission hasn't decided yet, but if they are going to happen, well, they're planned to take place in November, which is very soon. So it's all going to be decided within weeks. Let's hope the referenda don't go ahead, but if they do, let's hope that the result is a resounding yes. We'll be keeping our fingers crossed here at Reality Check. Now, speaking of places where same-sex marriage is a foregone conclusion, hopefully, let's cross the Pacific Ocean to Costa Rica, where, thanks to a Supreme Court ruling on August 8th, marriage equality there is now, well, a foregone conclusion. The court ruled that the sections of the Family Code which prevent same-sex marriage are unconstitutional and gave the legislature 18 months to amend the laws. If the Legislative Assembly doesn't act, then marriage equality will come into force automatically in February 2020. In other words, Costa Rica will achieve marriage equality sometime before early 2020. Which is fantastic news. Let's hope the legislature gets its act together and brings it in this year. But even if it doesn't, at least we know it's coming soon. It's interesting, isn't it, how suddenly all these courts seem to be ruling in favour of marriage equality, but postponing the effects of their decision for a couple of years to allow legislatures to act if they want to. I mean, we saw that in Colombia a few years ago, then in Taiwan and Austria, and now also in Costa Rica. I mean, it seems a bit unfair in a way to delay equality for a couple more years, but, well, it's better late than never, I suppose. Now, of course, the reason that marriage equality has become an issue in Costa Rica is largely due to the decision made in January by the Inter-American Court of Human Rights. We discussed that decision at some length on the show, but basically it requires all member states of the court, which is most countries in the Americas, to introduce marriage equality. And that decision continues to have ripple effects throughout Latin America, including not just Costa Rica, but also Ecuador. So let's quickly go there and have a look what's happening in Ecuador. So after that inter-American court ruling in January, two same-sex couples applied for marriage licenses in Ecuador and were refused. So they brought two separate legal cases which are now working their way through the Ecuadorian judicial system. In June, a lower court ruled in their favor However, those decisions were appealed and in September a higher court overturned those rulings. 
Now, they'll probably eventually make their way to the Constitutional Court, which will make the final decision. And most encouragingly, the president of that court in July announced that a majority of judges are in favor of marriage equality and they plan to vote to allow it. So very, very hopeful news there in Ecuador. We just have to wait for the wheels of justice to turn and bring those cases finally up to the Constitutional Court. Hopefully it'll happen soon and Ecuador will join the growing list of countries with marriage equality, which now, today, stands at 25. 25 and climbing. All right, that brings us to the end of our LGBT News Roundup for the last three months. Let's take a break now, and when we come back, we'll discover how you can change the structure of water, stop cooked rice from going moldy, and make plants grow strong and healthy just by using the power of your thoughts. Well, that's what Dr. Masaru Emoto claims anyway. Could it really be true? To find out, stay tuned to Reality Check here on Joy 94.9. Great shows, great topics, great radio. Joy 94.9. My life is slowly changing. It's changing for the Hi, this is Sam Sparrow, and you're listening to Joy 94.9. Welcome back to Reality Check. I'm Tony Pittman, and the station is Joy 94.9. And the song you just heard there was Into the Future by Canadian singer Dana Jean Phoenix. We move now into the part of the show where we undertake a skeptical analysis of a subject related to pseudoscience or the paranormal. And today we're going to delve deeply into the realm of pseudoscience as we investigate the amazing findings of that great Japanese thinker and researcher, Dr. Masaru Emoto. Now, dear listener, I want to preface our examination of Dr. Emoto and his amazing theories by first talking about a viral video that you may have seen doing the rounds recently, particularly on social media. It was made by the furniture giant IKEA and has an anti-bullying message, which is great. Bullying is awful, so we're all for anti-bullying messages here at Reality Check. Strangely, though, the video shows an experiment involving two pot plants placed in the lobby of a private secondary school in Dubai. Each pot plant is enclosed inside a glass case with an audio speaker inside. One of the plants has nasty, hateful, bullying messages played to it all day. The other plant has positive, kind, loving messages played to it. The messages are in English, by the way, just in case you were wondering what language plants understood. 
Anyway, let's listen to a bit of the video and hear some of those negative and then positive messages. Nobody likes you. No one notices when you're in the room. You're a mistake. You're useless. You're not even green. You look rotten. Are you really even alive? I like you the way you are. Seeing you blossom makes me happy. You're making a difference in the world. You are beautiful. So, I think you get an idea. The plants hear those messages constantly for 30 days. And then, at the end of that period, well, let's hear what happened. As the weeks passed, I started noticing that the one that was being bullied uh, started kind of to droop. Well, the plant that was being complimented, it was, it was flourishing and beautiful. It's true, dear listener. You can see the results for yourself on the video. Just Google bully a plant and you'll see. One of the plants is drooping. The other is strong and healthy. And here's the conclusion they come to at the end of the video. If it affects a plant, it can definitely affect other people. Well, yes, obviously, a perfectly logical scientific conclusion there. If bullying can affect a plant, then it can clearly affect people. Obviously. And the thousands and thousands of people who have shared and reposted and added favorable comments to this video is, well, extraordinary. Extraordinary because, well, let's just cut to the chase. The whole so-called experiment is completely ridiculous to the point of being laughable. To respond to verbal bullying, you have to have ears to hear and a brain and understand spoken English. You have to be human, basically, not a plant which has no ears and no brain and doesn't understand English, the whole thing is completely ludicrous. And yet, it was produced and sponsored by IKEA, a reputable global furniture brand. Why? How did this happen? Well, it seems that some people within IKEA are believers in the teachings of Dr. Masaru Emoto. Because at one point in the video, you can see a brief shot of a screen positioned above the two plants. And the words on the screen say the following. Quote, Plants have the same senses as human beings. Based on a study by Dr. Masaru Emoto on the molecular structure of water under influence of thoughts and vibrations. End quote. Oh, so the IKEA plant bullying experiment is just an application of the amazing findings of Dr. Emoto about water and human thoughts. Huh. So, dear listener, I think finally it's time to answer the question, who was Dr. Emoto and what on earth did he discover? Well, Dr. Emoto was born in Japan in 1943 and lived his whole life there. He died just a few years ago, actually in 2014, at the age of 71. 
He studied international relations at university in Yokohama, but then became more and more interested in spirituality and alternative medicine. In 1986, he established the IHM Corporation to begin promoting his theory of Hado, the idea that water and human consciousness are somehow connected by vibrational energy, whatever that means. He also started to call himself Missionary of Water. And in 1999, he began to publish a series of books called Messages from Water, all featuring stunning photographs of ice crystals, all apparently influenced by human thought. That first book became a bestseller, and over the next 10 years, he released three more books of photos of ice crystals, all of them selling very well too, and causing Dr. Emoto himself to become a minor international celebrity, particularly in the New Age communities. So let's have a closer look now at Dr. Emoto's theory of Hado. And his experiments, which supposedly proved his theory that our thoughts affect water, and that this can be seen most clearly in the formation of ice crystals. So, according to Dr. Emoto, if you subject water to kind, loving thoughts and then freeze it, The ice crystals that form will have beautiful, aesthetically pleasing, symmetrical patterns. But if you expose the water to negative, hateful thoughts, the ice crystals form ugly, disfigured, asymmetrical shapes. Supposedly. To be more specific, Dr. Emoto actually conducted four types of experiments. One involved words. He basically taped written words onto the outside of the bottle and then froze the water. Some bottles had positive words like love, hope, or thank you, and others had negative words like you disgust me, you fool, or idiot. Another set of experiments involved not words but images. Some images were serene and peaceful, others were violent and disturbing. A third type of experiment involved playing music to the water, and in the fourth experiment, they actually prayed to the water using prayers from all the world's major religions. And the results? Well, wouldn't you know it, dear listener, they confirmed Dr. Emoto's theories. Positive words and images produced beautiful crystals, and so did music by Bach and Mozart and Beethoven, whereas negative words and pictures created ugly crystals, as did heavy metal music. Apparently, I guess water has a taste in music. Who knew? In the final set of experiments with prayer, well, apparently, prayer. Always produced beautiful crystals all the time, and it didn't matter which religion the prayer was from, they all worked. Proving I'm not sure what exactly the existence of the gods? Maybe, 
who knows. Anyway, another thing that Dr. Emoto supposedly discovered was that water even holds opinions about historical figures. Because in some of those experiments involving words, they wrote the names of real people from history. When they wrote the word Hitler, the crystals came out all warped and disfigured. But when they wrote Mother Teresa, the crystals came out in exquisitely beautiful formations. Amazing, isn't it? Apparently, Water hasn't yet read the Christopher Hitchens book. Hmm, interesting. Now, the thing that really launched Dr. Emoto to new levels of fame was his appearance in the 2004 movie, What the Bleep Do We Know? This was a pseudoscience, quote-unquote, documentary made by the members of a cult called Rumpther's School of Enlightenment. Now, the cult of Ramtha is actually a whole other story. But the important point for us today is that the movie was very successful and seen by millions of people. And thus, Dr. Emoto's teachings found a whole new audience. Let's have a listen to a couple of clips from the movie to give you an idea. Mr. Emoto became terribly interested in the molecular structure of water and what affects it. Now, water is the most receptive of the four elements. Mr. Emoto thought perhaps it would respond to non-physical events. So he set up a series of studies, applied mental stimuli, and photographed it with a dart field microscope. This first picture... All right, now let's jump forward a little bit to a moment a couple of minutes later. Now, Mr. Emoto speaks of the thought or intent being the driving force in all of this. The science of how that actually affects the molecules is unknown, except to the water molecules, of course. And it's really fascinating when you keep in mind that 90% of our bodies are water. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? If thoughts can do that to water, imagine what our thoughts can do to us. Oh, yes, it really does make you wonder, doesn't it? And did you hear that, dear listener? The woman there said the science of how this works is unknown. Yes, I'm sure it is, and I'm sure scientists must be baffled. Also interesting in that clip is that she said that 90% of our bodies are water, which is interesting because it's not actually true. It's actually about 60%. But who are we to doubt the followers of Ramtha? Anyway, let's get back to Dr. Emoto and to the second reason he's become world famous. And that's because after years of taking photos of ice crystals, Dr. Emoto developed another experiment to supposedly prove his theory. And that experiment is known as the Rice Experiment. And this one went viral on the internet and so made him famous on social media and on YouTube. In fact, if you Google the rice experiment, you'll find not just Dr. Emoto's original experiment, but dozens of variations, 
all designed to go viral on YouTube for the amazing results they supposedly show us. Let's have a listen now to a clip from a Russian documentary called Water, the Great Mystery, which explains Dr. Emoto's original version of the rice experiment. Dr. Emoto has conducted another interesting experiment. He placed rice into three glass beakers and covered it with water. And then every day for a month, he said, thank you to one beaker. You're an idiot to the second. And the third one, he completely ignored. After one month, the rice that had been thanked began to ferment, giving off a strong, pleasant aroma. The rice in the second beaker turned black. And the rice that was ignored began to rot. Dr. Emoto thinks that this experiment provides an important lesson, especially with regard to how we treat children. We should take care of them, give them attention, and converse with them. Indifference does the greatest harm. Well, it's a nice lesson at the end anyway, I guess, that we should treat others with kindness because our thoughts and our words do affect other people. That's the lesson from the rice experiment and also from the IKEA video we played earlier, which is a lovely lesson, and I'm sure we can all agree it's a very nice message. But the supposed science behind it, well, to be perfectly blunt, it's complete and utter BS. In fact, there are so many things wrong with all this, the water crystal and the rice experiments, I can't cover everything in one podcast. But let's just go through some of the basic problems. Probably the biggest problem with all of it is that everything Dr. Emoto claimed is actually impossible. Based on everything we know about the laws of the universe, physics chemistry, biology, it's impossible that simply writing a word on the outside of a bottle of water or a bottle of cooked rice could affect the contents in any way. That's just not possible. So if you're going to make a completely extraordinary claim like that, you're going to need pretty impressive and compelling evidence. And Dr. Emoto provides, well, no evidence at all. Because he never did science. He didn't follow experimental protocols. He didn't use blinding. He didn't publish his results or his methods. And his results have never been replicated. So his so-called discoveries are not scientific at all by any definition of the word. All he actually ever did was publish best-selling coffee table books with lots of pictures of ice crystals. That's not science. Well, actually, what I've said is not quite true because in 2008, he did publish some of his findings in a journal. 
a journal called the Journal of Scientific Exploration, which is a highly dubious and disreputable journal published by believers in the paranormal. So, well, he did publish something, but in a journal of what could be described as pseudoscience at best. Interestingly, in 2003, Dr. Emoto was invited by James Randi to take part in the $1 million paranormal challenge, meaning he would have received a million dollars if he'd been able to prove his claims. Strangely enough, though, he declined to take part. I wonder why. Now, another problematic thing about Dr. Emoto is that, surprise, surprise, Dr. Emoto was not, in fact, a doctor at all. He obtained the title of doctor in 1992 from an outfit in India called the Open International University for Alternative Medicine which is actually just a diploma mill where you can purchase a degree for less than $500 and then wave around your certificate and call yourself a doctor. Very handy, isn't it? Especially if you want to go on to publish a series of best-selling books based on pseudoscience. Hmm... Perhaps most troubling of all is that Dr. Emoto's ridiculous theories can actually pose a danger if people believe them. For example, Dr. Emoto believed that polluted water could be cleaned by prayer. Now, you can imagine what would happen if people really believed that and found themselves in an emergency situation where they only had polluted water to drink. Prayer doesn't kill cholera or typhoid, but those bacteria do kill people in horrifically large numbers, so you can see the potential for real harm. Also troubling is that some people have been putting Dr. Emoto's discoveries to use in the medical field. Let's have a listen to another YouTube video explaining how this works. Let us see how this type of water affects human blood. The doctor is drawing blood from a patient's finger. Using a special microscope, we shall be able to see the condition of her body from this drop. These are red blood cells and they've lost their electrical charge. So they're all stuck together in a formation called a rouleau. Here's a huge symplast. Symplasts are associated with heart disease and uh, arthritis and lung disease and many other conditions that could be coming in the future. The doctor asks the patient to drink a small amount of structurized water. After 12 minutes, the doctor again draws blood from the patient and studies it. So you can see that the cells then become buoyant, they become slippery, and they have their electrical charge, so they repel each other. That allows them to carry oxygen, and it means that we're changing the pH of the blood back to an aerobic environment rather than an anaerobic environment. I think that's utterly amazing 
that that a water could, that just drinking water could do that. Wow! Yes, I think that's utterly amazing too. Well, it would be if it were true, but she seemed like a very reliable doctor, didn't she? I mean, she was using known English words. They didn't make any sense, but I mean, she was wearing a white lab coat in the video, so I'm sure it's all true. Now, one other interesting and perhaps troubling aspect of Dr. Emoto's legacy is the amount of money his enterprise still seems to be raking in. Dr. Emoto has been dead for four years now, but his lab and institute are still functioning and offering services, and of course, online shopping opportunities. For example, in terms of the services they offer, well, you can send them water samples, and they'll take pictures of the ice crystals that form in your water, and then send you the photos. A very useful service, isn't it? You just have to post your water bottle to Japan, and then it costs only fifty-four thousand yen per sample, which is about. Six hundred and seventy Australian dollars per sample. That's great value, though. I mean, especially when you're getting such useful information about the water that you send them.、Mm. Another very efficient way you can spend your money is by taking a three-day course to become a qualified instructor in Dr. Emoto's. Hado philosophy. The courses are run in Tokyo, and they cost only seventeen hundred U.S. dollars, plus another eight hundred and fifty dollars if you want to do the extra workshops. Great value, isn't it? And I'm sure you'll be learning a lot of very useful information. Hmm. And speaking of great value. There are also all of those very useful products and devices that you can buy from the online shopping page of Dr. Emoto's website, Hado.com. For example, you can get tiny vials of skin cream for only two hundred and sixty dollars each, or pick up a small device that looks like a pen light. Called an elementary particle reconstruction generator for only three hundred and ten dollars, or how about an anti-gravity pendant? I kid you not, dear listener. That's what it's called for only five hundred and forty dollars. Or what about some good luck stones for only six hundred dollars? Perhaps the most handy device that you can get from Hado.com is the Kazutama Mini Water Imprint System Vibrational Instrument for use in the home. It's basically a flat device that looks almost exactly like a smartphone, and how it works is that you sit a glass of water on top of the device, and then use it to. Quote, 
correct the negative vibrations and imprint personal vibrational information to the water. End quote. Then you drink the water and somehow it corrects disorders of the energy balance in your body, thus allowing you to resolve problems and achieve many goals. Amazing, isn't it? And the best thing about it is that this device comes with simple buttons so you can program it so easily. It has buttons for things like improving eyesight, reducing allergies, preventing hair loss, and quitting smoking. It even has buttons for academic achievement and financial abundance. You never knew those things could be so easy, did you, dear listener? It also has a button called Male Affability to, quote, help produce innate masculinity so people will have kindly feelings toward you. So I guess it's like a dating app, maybe? Not quite sure about that one. Anyway, one thing that is sure is that this device is a steal for only $2,000 US dollars. And if you buy it together with the NC Cube Plus, a plastic cube which supposedly reverses the space-time of this world and creates a four-dimensional space, the whole package will cost you just $5,000. Wow! So affordable and so useful. You really can't walk past value like that. So what can we conclude here at the end of our examination? Well, first, IKEA should be ashamed of itself for promoting blatant pseudoscience. And for doing it and filming it in a high school, too. Teaching this nonsense to high school students. Really, IKEA? <sighs> Disgraceful. Secondly, videos that spread virally on YouTube and social media are not a good way to get reliable information about the world. Videos are highly constructed and edited and usually made with an agenda. If you want to learn some real science, read some articles by real scientists, not by anonymous people or corporations on YouTube. And finally, if you're not actually following scientific protocols, like Dr. Emoto wasn't, then it's easy to produce results that support your theory, even if your theory is completely wacko, like his. For example, if you're looking at hundreds of ice crystals in any given sample, it's easy to find dozens that you could call beautiful, and dozens more that you could call ugly. You just photograph the ones that suit your theory, and boom, you've got a best-selling coffee table book on your hands. But you certainly haven't done any science. So, Dr. Emoto wasn't actually a doctor, and he also wasn't a scientist. He took pictures of ice crystals, published books, 
gave expensive lectures and seminars, and sold a lot of merchandise through his online webpage. What he really was, it seems to me, was an entrepreneur. I suspect he probably believed in his theory of Hado, but he never produced any good evidence to support it. Unfortunately, though, his pseudoscientific theories spread far and wide and still permeate popular culture today to quite a disturbing extent, particularly because they've now been co-opted into the anti-bullying message. It's very disappointing and frustrating. Let's just hope that over the next few years, we see less bullying and also less of Dr. Emoto's ridiculous theories. Let's hope they just evaporate like a drop of holy water fallen onto a sizzling hot plate. Psst. Gone, never to return. Let's hope so. All right, that brings us to the end of our analysis of Dr. Emoto and his wacko theories. If you'd like to send in a comment or question on today's show or an idea for a future show, please send us an email. The address is realitycheckTony at gmail.com. You can also visit our webpage for past episodes of Reality Check. That's at realitycheckonline.blogspot.com.au. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll get into this week's movie review. Come with us as we take you to new heights. Enjoy 94.9. This is John Hawley. This is Solo. Samson. And Lucas. And we are Justice Crew. Listening to Melbourne's most uplifting music mix on Joy 94.9. Welcome back to Reality Check with me, Tony Pittman, on Joy 94.9. Also streaming live at joy.org.au. And also available as a podcast to listen to anywhere in the world on your little pod. The song you just heard there was No Podras by Mexican singer Cristian Castro, a hit from back in 1992. And speaking of the 90s, it's movie review time here on Reality Check. But today we're actually not going to review a film. We're going to review a TV series instead and one that's set in the 90s. The series is called The Assassination of Gianni Versace. Two years ago here on Reality Check, back in episode 71, we reviewed another TV series, The People vs. O.J. Simpson, which was actually the first season of a larger anthology series called American Crime Story. Well, The Assassination of Gianni Versace 
is the second season of that same series, produced by the same team. Now, I thought The People vs. O.J. Simpson was absolutely fantastic. So I was very keen to check out The Assassination of Gianni Versace. And I'm very happy to say, dear listener, I wasn't disappointed. This series is astoundingly good. It's one of the best things I've seen on television in quite a while. The series goes for nine episodes and tells the story of the murder of Gianni Versace back in July 1997. And although it deals to some extent with the life of Versace, the main focus of the series is on the life of his killer, Andrew Cunanan. Cunanan actually killed five men over a period of three months until he was eventually cornered by the FBI in a houseboat in Miami and committed suicide. Darren Chris, who stars in the series, actually called the search for Andrew Cunanan the largest failed manhunt in FBI history. It was a failure because it took them so long to find him, while his murders kept going, ultimately ending with the murder of Versace. Anyway, the series is fantastic, and I'm going to try to outline some of the reasons why I think it works so well. The first is the quality of the writing particularly the dialogue. There's not a line that goes to waste. They all serve the purpose of driving the narrative or exploring the characters or just creating real tension and drama. Occasionally, it is a little bit on the nose, but the lines are so well delivered by the actors that somehow they work. The dialogue is often searing And, well, many of the lines actually made me gasp out loud. I found every scene and the whole story completely gripping. Another reason the series works so well is because it manages to weave so many themes into that story surrounding the killing of Versace, particularly themes involving the issue of how homosexuality was viewed and dealt with at that time in the 90s. Cunanan was a gay man coming of age in the early 90s. So were his friends and lovers, some of whom tragically became his victims. By going into the details of their stories, the series reminds us of what the world was like back then for gay men coming out to their families, the don't-ask-don't-tell policy of the U.S. military, and Versace's own decision to come out publicly. All these elements are woven into the broader plot in a very satisfying way. Finally, I think the main reason for the series' success is really because Cunanan himself is such an intriguing and fascinating character and someone who actually reflects certain traits that lie deep inside all of us. Okay, Cunanan eventually became a mentally deranged serial killer, but in the way he's portrayed, there's something quite relatable about him. He's smart, he's witty, he's handsome, 
according to societal expectations, he should be very successful. And yet, he's not. And when he sees people like Versace, who are just as smart and talented as him, and who have become extraordinarily successful, well, it foments in him a certain resentment. Why Versace? Why him? Why not me? And I think although we may not like to admit it, I suspect we all feel that way to a certain extent. There's a certain feeling of injustice about why some people are more successful than us. Of course, Andrew Cunanan takes that resentment and sense of unfulfilled entitlement to an extreme level. But still, there's something in his motivation that we can all relate to in a certain way. In our last episode of Reality Check, I reviewed the French film BPM and commented that it's a movie I really liked because it pushed all the right buttons for me. And I think likewise, I personally appreciated the assassination of Gianni Versace because it does the same thing. I was born in the same year as Andrew Cunanan. I was also a gay man coming of age in the early to mid-90s. I remember the issues of that time very well. I also remember the murder of Versace and the hunt for Cunanan very well, too. So, like BPM, this series hit a lot of my soft spots and covered a lot of subjects I'm interested in and also brought up a lot of memories of that time. I suspect that's why I was particularly susceptible to its charms. But putting those personal factors aside, I do think it's a very well-produced series and one that will be appealing to most viewers. It certainly has got great reviews from the vast majority of critics. So if it sounds like it could be appealing to you, dear listener, please seek it out. It's now an official reality check must-see TV series. I think it's almost a masterpiece, so I don't think you'll be disappointed. Now, one quick thing before we end the show. I've decided to bring Reality Check, the radio show, and the podcast to an end with episode 80. So that means there'll be just two more episodes before Reality Check finally reaches its conclusion. So if there are any topics you've been wanting us to deal with and you haven't written into the show yet, well, now's your last chance. Send an email to realitycheck_tony. that's Tony with a Y, at gmail.com. And hopefully I'll be able to include your suggestions in our final two episodes. No promises, but I'll see what I can do. And that brings us to the end of the 78th episode of Reality Check. I hope you enjoyed the show. Remember to send any questions, comments, or feedback to realitycheck.tony at gmail.com. 
Visit our website to subscribe to the podcast. That's realitycheckonline.blogspot.com.au. Have a great week. Maybe I'll see some of you at the Australian Skeptics National Convention next weekend. Otherwise, I'll be back with another episode of Reality Check sometime in the coming months. See you then. Thanks for listening to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.